as we've made our way uh, through it this semester, we're, we're hitting some, uh, some high theology. We're asking the question, what does RUF believe? Uh, what is it that uh, believers around the world believe? Uh, we're asking the questions uh, that matter the most, like who we are, do we belong, can we change, um, is God real? First week, uh, we were asking the question, how do we know God? And we were considering the doctrine of revelation, which is to say that God introduces himself to us through his word and by his spirit. After that, we, we talked about uh, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with us, and, and the answer is, is rebellion, it is sin, and we considered that doctrine. And then after that, we considered, okay, what, what was God's solution to these things? And we talked about redemption, specifically substitutionary atonement. That's a big word. And from it, we learned this. We learned that God's solution against our sin is that he would take our place in it, that he would take our cross, he would take God's judgment against us and our sin on himself and set us free. And then last week, we considered, okay, well, how does this major cosmic solution get home? How does it get on us? How does it get in us? What is, what is the way that this redemption is applied to each and one, each of us? And the answer was justification. The question of, do I belong? Am I accepted by God? Do I have standing? The answer is yes, because by Christ's virtue alone, we are declared righteous. Not just forgiven, but righteous. And tonight, we're going to continue that conversation. So if, if we've been declared righteous, what happens next? And tonight, we're going to continue, uh, consider the doctrine of sanctification, what it means to grow as a Christian. If, if God's grace has declared us righteous, how does His grace work now that we are in Christ? So tonight, we're going to look at a section from Second uh, Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter uh, 1, and we're going to read from verses 11, or excuse me, 3 through 11. Let's hear this together. First or Second Peter chapter one, verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly or mutual affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. Anyone nearsighted in here? I am. So nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from, their, from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You can bank your life on it. You can rest all of your weight upon it. It will hold you up, and it will show you the right way. Let's ask for his help. God, would you uh, put your invisibility cloak over me? May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. O oh God, my Redeemer, I pray this in your name. Amen. 
Sanctification. So what is it? Right? So as I started just a moment ago, justification is the act, is the one-time act of God's declaring us righteous. It's an act of God's grace that happens in the courtroom of heaven. So what happens next? If it's a one act, what is sanctification? It's the continual work of God's grace where he renews us and enables us to die to ourselves and live in light of his wisdom and his word. If I could put it this way, justification is like your wedding day. Marriage is sanctification. Justification is that letter of acceptance you got at ECU. The 150 credits you take is the sanctification process, right? The entire process of marriage and your coursework have no standing against the love you declared and promised in marriage at your wedding day and has no bearing against the acceptance that's already yours as a student of this university or wherever you might be. Does that make sense? So as I was thinking about sanctification this week, I I was thinking about my own heart, and as I think about it, I I think we have this sort of love-hate relationship with growth in our life. Uh, We crave what growth represents, but we despise its process. Can I get an amen? Um, we, uh, We get so defeated by failure, right? It sets us back. We, we, we just sort of want to throw in the towel. We, we want to grow, but we don't know how to get there sometimes. Maybe you felt this before. Burnout, right? You've worked yourself to death. You're exhausted with nothing to show. In fact, some of those old, nasty habits of yours are actually more present than they were before you burned out. And as I've thought about our hearts our natural-born hearts. I, th- I think that spiritual growth, in, according to our natural selves, it says this, it's got to be linear, right? Sanctification can only go forward. And two, it must be positive. In other words, we have no tolerance for pain and no grit in the face of failure. Both of these things knock us off, and we, we just want to throw it out. So let's see tonight if Peter can't course correct our understanding and actually encourage us along the way. So I've got four stops. I'll try to hit these uh, somewhat quickly. The first will be kind of quick. The second will be sort of quick. The third will be the longest, and the fourth will be um, short as well. But here they are. First, we're going to talk about the fuel for growth. Second, the pace of growth. Sorry. Third, the work of growth. And fourth, the certainty of our growth. So what about the fuel? Where, where, where do we get the power? What is the power source for us to grow into Christ's likeness? And we're told right away in verse 3. Didn't you see it? Peter says this, Divine power has granted you and I all things. Everything, you could say. For life and for godliness. You see, Peter had talked about God's power before. It happened in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. You see, back, if you can read about this, uh, actually in John chapter 14 through 16, where Jesus is, 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 is really bringing his disciples to the end of themselves, and they're despairing at the fact that he's about to leave them. And he says something strange to them. He says, it's good for me to go. Because if I don't go, you won't get the helper. The helper is the way in which John would describe the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit came, just as God had promised. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And then Peter stands up in in Acts chapter 2, filled with the Holy Spirit, and and the first thing he says is, these people that are speaking languages you don't know, they're not drunk. But this is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Peter has talked about the power of God before. And he's 
calling our minds to it yet again. And he's saying this, Christ himself is literally our fuel, is literally the power that invades the darkness of our heart to resist ourself and to cling to him. It's not something he gives, it is himself. The divine power is the spirit of Christ. And he he proves the point in verse 4, he says this, that we're going to become partakers or sharers in the divine nature. Peter's not talking about us becoming sort of demigods. Rather, he's talking about a proximity, right? We become like those uh, that we're next to. And the closer we get to them, the more like them we become. So we begin to mimic, we begin to reflect, we begin to take on their character. In other words, by God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us, we literally have God's DNA coursing through our veins. This is our fuel. Two points to make here on this first stop. We have everything we need to grow in Christ-likeness. Everything. How many times have you said this? I need more information. Right? I need Him to open more doors and close more doors. Would you just trust Him? I need a little bit more spiritual experience. Peter says, you have everything. We have everything. Two, real spiritual growth is possible. Real. Some of you might be cynical about this and say things like, man, people just don't change. I've seen this firsthand, Skyler. In Christ, change is possible. In fact, it's going to happen. You see, the Holy Spirit's not a quick fix for our problems, but He is a a deep fix for the ache of our hearts. There is no wound that He can't heal. There is no brokenness that He cannot repair. And there is no habit so binding on you that He cannot free you from. You have everything. You have Christ. So, why do we doubt that real change is possible? Another reason, our timing is off. This brings us to our second point, the pace of growth. As we look at this, the chunk of this message from verses 5 to 8, I want to draw your attention to verse 8 where it says, Peter says that these qualities, he sort of rattles them off, we'll break them up in just a minute, that they're increasing within and among you. I don't know about you, but when I hear that I have everything I need to live as I should, I assume that means right away. Right? If I got everything I need, why not happen now? Peter says no. You see, the Spirit applies the power of Christ gradually. (laughs) We all want the drama. But did you know that our God is a God of means? He's a God of gradual and certain comfort. That He meets us where we are. He calls us up and out gradually. Right? He gives food and water to the depressed Elijah before he sends him back out. Right? He meets Job. He meets Jonah where they are. This is the work of the Spirit. He moves gradually and certainly to apply the work of Christ in our lives. Consider all these metaphors of like this gradual growth in Jesus throughout the Bible. Let me just hit a few for you. Luke chapter 6. Jesus compares us to trees. Also in Psalm 1 we're told this. And the point is to see this, that like trees, we're either going to bear healthy or diseased fruit. I don't know if you've spent time watching a tree grow, but you'd be there a while. Mark chapter 4, we're called farmers who scatter seed. But then we're said that we're clueless to actually see how the crop grows. Paul would talk about this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then our author here, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter to the churches, in chapter 2, he refers to us as babies called to grow. 
You can cram as much milk as you want down a baby's throat, and they'll be full all right, but they won't grow any faster. You see, we overestimate what we can do in a week, but we underestimate what God can do in four years. I'll never forget, um, Georgia started collecting some acorns. Sorry, Georgia. And um, she was showing my kids like the power of an acorn, and I don't know if you know this, but it's literally true that, that one acorn has enough acorn-ness to fill the world with trees. But it doesn't happen fast. This is the pace of growth. <laughs> Georgia's reading a book right now. Second shout out, sorry, Georgia. Um, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great book. Commend it to you. And here's one of the comments that he makes about our, our pace. He says that love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all that Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And all are incompatible with hurry. Our God is a slow God. He's patient. He says that. But it's certain. So the fuel is Christ himself in us. We have everything we need. The pace is not fast, but gradual. But there is some work to do. The work of growth. Verse 5 again. We make every effort to supplement our faith. What is Peter saying there? To make every effort to supplement your faith. The word supplement or add in, in the Greek is, is this word for invest. And it was often used to describe people who would actually be the sort of financial producers of, I don't know, uh, theater productions in the ancient world. The patrons, right? The benefactors, the people at the bottom of the of, of the. Uh, you know, the program, who have put the thing on. You see, what he's inviting us to see, investors pay a price. It's costly for them to put forward capital to make this thing work. Ask anyone you know that have been an investment banker or a venture capitalist, and, and, you, and you'll find that they have as many failures as they have successes. The point is this. Peter is teaching that spiritual growth is not automatic. He says, make every effort. In fact, it requires investment, which will cost you. It'll cost you. So let's think about the ways that he describes the cost of sanctification. I'm just going to hit a few that he mentions here, not all of them. The first of which is knowledge. In other words, you've got to pay the price of spending time with Jesus. You can't grow in the relationship with anyone unless you're listening and talking with them. What about steadfastness? You see, you've got to pay the price of pain to grow. Steadfastness is in reference to actual suffering. It'd be helpful to know that the Apostle Peter is in prison in Rome right now, writing this letter. And he's about to be executed in weeks, if not days. And he's talking about being steadfast, being immovable in the face of pain. <laughs> I think about the story of, of, of Job. And if you know this story in the Bible, he, I mean, hell landed at his doorstep, literally. Everything was taken from him. He buried children. His entire livelihood, he was one of the wealthiest men the world has ever known, was gone. And most of the book details Job yelling at God, complaining at God, begging God to, to, to answer back, to say, why, what were you doing? I, I have tried to be about you and for you. 
And there at the end of the, of the book, if you read it, it, God says this, Job was a faithful man. And our ears should say, did I miss something? He was faithful because the entire book is a prayer. He was talking to his God about the pain that his God was sovereign over. To be steadfast is to submit to God when your life hurts. I'll ask you to think about it this way. If you've never thought about it, can you begin to imagine that there is an actual productive power in your pain? Would you, would you be willing to, to take a breath before you run away from it to see that God might actually be growing you in it? In fact, I'd go so far to say your greatest growth in life will come through pain. Will be through hard things. Third, brotherly or mutual affection. This is where we get our word in the, in the city uh, of the birds. Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? In other words, Peter is saying you've got to pay the price. You have to invest in vulnerability if you're going to experience sibling friendship. If you refuse to let your heart be broken, friends, if you refuse that, you can kiss spiritual growth goodbye. You have to give someone an all-access pass so that they can speak the truth of the gospel and the very love of the gospel so that you can grow. How do you know if your work is paying off? How do you know if your investment's even getting anywhere, if it's participating in the grace of God in your life? Verse 7, love. You see, there's a series, there's a, there's a certain pattern that, that, that Peter is using to sort of uh, create sort of this, this arc uh, to these character traits that are, that are found in God's people. And they're not meant to be seen as one is better than the other until you get to the top. Right? They're not to be compared until you make your way to the top because love is intentionally, literarily, objectively, and biblically the highest virtue. This is how you know. If you're becoming a person of love, love for God and love for your neighbor, what is biblical love? How do you know if you're actually growing in Christ? And, and I would begin to describe it this way. Someone who has tasted the gospel love of Jesus, they'll begin to taste and enjoy the joy in other people. They will find actual happiness in the happiness of other people. They will be burdened by the burdens of their people. Their lives are connected to the good of another. Sound like Jesus? This is love. You see, before Christ, we think about love as something that serves me, my plans, my career goals, my friendship desires, my anything. Right? We are the center of orbit. But friends, if you've begun to taste that you're slightly less self-pitiable, you're beginning to think slightly more about the people around you and what's going on in their lives, then you have grace at work in your life. Be encouraged. This is the work of growth. Fourth, finally, the certainty of growth. We see in verses 9 through 10, um, something that might confuse us. I'm going to read it for us. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And then verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I think we can we can read that and misunderstand what Peter is 
saying. It looks like he's saying that God looks at you and he looks at me and he, and he looks to see if we're doing these things and, and by virtue whether or not we are worthy of heaven. That's wrong. Because there are two pillars of certainty in this text right here that teach us otherwise. First, we were formally cleansed. Second, and even earlier than being cleansed, we've been elected. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul writes, By grace you have been, what? Helped? Saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Lest anyone should boast. We are his before the foundation of the world. Let me put it to you this way. Good works, the work of growing in Christ, that growth never precedes the cleansing and election of Jesus for you, ever. But it always proceeds it. Always. In other words, grace works. It does something. Right? We are a precious people to God for nothing that we give to Him, nothing that He sees in our potential, nothing, because He says so, because He decided in His wise and sweet holy mind to have His Son take our place. Grace works. It worked for you in the past, and it will work through you into the future that He's already ordained. What I want you to hear is that you will grow in Jesus because He saved you for it. <laughs> as certain as His saving was, your growth is as well. You may be thinking, man, you have not looked at my life lately. Right? We're stuck thinking about linear paths of sanctification. We're stuck thinking about all the ways that we, we seem to fail and to fall and, and to mess things up. And we think, oh, this isn't working. Right? It's not a zero-sum game in the kingdom of God. All of it, zoomed out by God's vision, is a straight line. To Jesus. That's where you're headed. And when you get to see His work in your life of learning to love God more and seeing and caring for your neighbors well, you will be encouraged. In other words, as he puts it, it will confirm your election. Friends, it's a gift. It's a gift for God to take this divine mirror and put it in front of you. And He doesn't show you your sin. He shows you what He's doing in your life. Have you ever felt that? Like, it actually, for a moment, I know we forget it on Tuesday, but if he showed it to us at 2 o'clock on Monday, we actually think, oh, wait, I, I do belong to him. Right? This, the work of sanctification is your gift. This isn't performance. This is an opportunity for you to delight in the delight that Jesus already has for you. And he shows it to you. This is what it means to confirm your election. If you are in Christ, if you love Him, can I just encourage you? That is not of your own doing. Be encouraged. Be assured. No matter where you are on the forward, backward, up, down path of following Jesus, if that is the drumbeat of your life, repentance and faith, you are His. And He wants to show you through what He's doing in your life. Lastly, this. The certainty of yours, yours, mine, our growth is because our Savior grew. Did you know this? Luke 2, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. 
He tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Let that sink into your brain. He grew physically and spiritually. What? For you. Jesus, the Son of God, God-man, actually matured on your behalf. He, of course, died for the absence of our growth, the cancer of our sin. We've talked about that. But He did more. He actually lived a life of growth for you. In other words, all this stuff that He's sort of, before you were born, planned for you to do was what He's already done. He lived a life of growth for you. And because it was for you, He was judged as if He was nearsighted and blind. So that by faith, His growth will be yours. Jesus has cleaned you up, not so that you can get on your way, apart from Him, and start growing. No. He grew for you. And He is now carefully confirming His election of you by His grace before your very eyes. Will you cooperate? Let that be an invitation for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, growth is a... Um, it tangles us up. We, we misunderstand it. Uh, we get confused by how you want to do it. Uh, we have plans for our lives that you don't seem to have. And that frustrates the mess out of us. Sometimes it even scares us, makes us terribly anxious. Lord, would you show us by your Spirit that's at work in our lives even now that we belong to you? And that you've called us to do these things because our Christ has done them for us? that as we work, we're actually working with our Savior who's already done it and is inviting us to take delight in the work that He's provided. Lord, I pray for these students as they enter um, this last stretch before spring break and all the things that will be piling up and all the ways that their minds are already thinking and um, worried and anxious over. Would you help them to see that even these hard things are a gift from you and not some twisted gift, but a gift to help them see that when they are weak, you are strong forever. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.